everyone. Great to, be, uh, great to be all together here and in the gym and online. We are reading this morning from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 8, and speaking about this topic, scattered church. Before we read this morning, I want to show you a picture. And uh, I don't know how many kids we got here, a few kids, uh, and certainly some teenagers, but I'm curious, for those of you who've played sports, you're familiar with the scene on the screen here, and I want you to envision for a moment, in this case, uh, soccer, uh, it's the World Cup final, and one team huddles up, or maybe both teams huddle up before the game begins, but when the referee blows the whistle and it's time for the opening kickoff, the team just stays in the huddle. Doesn't move, doesn't break, doesn't come to center, doesn't take position, and the referee blows the whistle again. Nothing changes. They stay in the huddle, and finally the referee goes to them and says, don't you want to play the game? I wonder if we've ever thought about the fact that as Christians, we are always in a very real danger of staying in the huddle. The game is on. There's things to be done. There's places to go. There's people to speak to. But are we still stuck in the huddle? When we think about our interaction with the world, it's often the concern of being, becoming worldly that we, we, we would be most concerned about. We don't want the world to, rightly, we don't want the world to influence us. We don't want to be like the world. We don't want to participate in the activities or the sins of the world. But I would argue that for us, the greater danger is that we stay in the huddle. Let's consider that as we read these verses in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It begins by saying that Saul before his conversion approved of their killing of Stephen, which we could read about in chapter 7. Then it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city." As you know, our message for today is scattered church. I heard years ago this little expression, gather and scatter. And I've come to realize that is the perfect description of what the church should be. What we're doing here today is important. It's crucial that we gather together. We huddle up. We sing songs of praise. We get our focus back on where it should be. We remember Christ in communion. We hear from the word of God. We sharpen each other and and, and encourage each other in relationship. We pray for one another and for the mission of God. Then we scatter. In fact, the majority of the Christian life isn't this. This is something that God has given us. It's a tremendous gift. We need it. But this isn't the essence of the Christian life. The essence of the Christian life is what happens outside of this huddle that we're in. Is it possible that we as Christians have found ways to live in the huddle. I mean, we just, we just 
stay here. I mean, we, we come on Sunday mornings, of course, but, but then even throughout the week, we find ways to make sure that we're safe within our Christian huddle. We join sports leagues that are supposed to be just with Christians, although if you're in a church hockey league, I'm sure that's not the case, but couldn't possibly be, be the case. But we practice our pastimes just with other believers. We, we hire only other Christians. We, there's all kinds of ways in which we try to protect ourselves and remain in this huddle. The Word of God would teach us today and, and every day. That is not God's will for us. God's will for us, first of all, is that we would scatter to the world. You realize that what's happening here is exactly what Jesus said would happen back in chapter 1, verse 8. Remember, just before his ascension, he says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the outer parts of the world. Now, we can read that and think, well, that was his command. If it was a command, then they should have perhaps already been going out. That was his heart for them. That was his will for them. But here's the other way of looking at it. It's a command. It's our calling as Christians that we would make disciples of all nations. But here's the other thing. It's a promise. It's a promise. If it's not you or me, God will find his ways to get his word out to the nations. It's going out. Our privilege is that we get to be the ones who take the good news. The Old Testament, there's this funny expression about those people who bring good news. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good... I haven't seen a lot. I haven't met a lot of people with beautiful feet. But the Word of God says that if we're the, the feet that bring good news, it's beautiful. Think about those times when Jesus, in the Gospels, we read about him, and he's confronting a demon who has taken possession of a person. Remember some of those stories? And the demon begins to speak out of the mouth of that person and begins to say, I know who you are. You're the Holy One. What did Jesus do every time a demon spoke through a possessed person announcing who Jesus was? What did Jesus do every time? Be quiet. Why? Because that is not the privilege of demons. To announce the presence and the identity of the Messiah, that is the privilege of the people of God. And yet so often we shirk that responsibility. We shrink away. We do not scatter to the world in the ways that God has called us to. Notice the people here, even in the midst of persecution, e even though they had to flee Jerusalem because of this per persecution, they, they didn't fold. They weren't silenced. The persecution was bound to follow. The religious rulers in Jerusalem were bound to chase them down and hunt them down, as we see Saul here at this point in his life was doing. But the message went out in spite of the persecution. This is exactly exactly what Jesus taught. Remember his prayer in John 17, and I find this verse so powerful. Jesus praying to his Father says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So think of the ministry of Jesus. He'd go to a place, people would get healed, and they'd hear the good news preached, and they'd say to Jesus, please stay. And what would Jesus say? I gotta go, I gotta go talk to some other people. 
Jesus lived a scattered life. Not, not widely around the globe, but in that little part of the world where he was born and where he ministered, he went from place to place. He went from house to house, from table to table, from person to person, sharing the good news. And then I love what Peter writes in his letter. First verse of his letter, First Peter. He literally writes it to the pilgrims of the dispersion. He's writing here to Christians, but this is his nickname for them. He calls them in the, in the Greek language, the diaspora. The diaspora refers to, well, this. It refers to this. It refers to the sowing of seed. Now, we think of the sowing of seed, rightly so, as sowing the seeds of God's word and sharing the good news with people. That's true. That's a biblical image from uh, the parable of the sower. But in 1 Peter, Peter writes of Christians as the seeds that are sown. The diaspora, in fact, it's like he's recognizing in the sovereignty of God that God has scattered his people throughout the world, throughout nations, throughout cities, neighborhoods, schools, workplaces, hockey teams, all kinds of ways that God has spread us like a diaspora. He's scattered us. He's sown his people through the world. I wonder if that's the way we understand what God has done with us. And it's interesting because this requires two things. Number one, it requires that we recognize that God has placed us in his sovereignty. God has placed us where we are. This came home to me as uh, as a young man when my parents announced to us that we were moving to a place called Marathon, Ontario. And what became the hardest time of my life also became the most profound part of my life because over the years that I lived there in a town that had very few Christians in a high school where in my final year of high school, I assumed, I thought I was the only Christian in the whole school. And I became aware of this reality that God had sown us into a place that desperately needed the word of God. And that's what he does. And the question is, do we, do we recognize that? Do we recognize that in his sovereignty, he's put me in my workplace, in my neighborhood, that person who lives beside me, who drives me crazy. God's not surprised by that. I'm there to minister to that person, to, to plant seeds of the gospel, to shine the light of Christ, scatter to the world. This is what God does with his people. And then there's the question of how willing are we to being scattered? The story of Acts is going to unfold for us. Uh, The reality that Paul, once he became a missionary, and Barnabas and Silas and so many others, in fact, these people here, were scattered on purpose. That they literally chose, they made decisions. They didn't just say, oh, okay, well, I work here and I live here, so this is where God has me. But they literally looked around at the world and said, where does the gospel need to go? Where, where is it that people have never heard about Jesus? I'd like for God to scatter me there. And they became active in this idea of the diaspora. And they, they, they scattered on purpose. There's a movement here in Ontario. It's spread around the world. It started in the GTA called Move In. I'm not sure how many of you have heard of that. 
But the idea of this ministry called Move In is that clusters of Christians, sometimes three, four, half a dozen, will move into a neighborhood, especially in the GTA. It could be a single apartment building, often where there's a high population of, of Muslim people. And the whole idea is that we move in here. People who have, literally, people have sold their houses and moved into these kinds of places for the sole purpose of being diaspora, of choosing to live among people who need Jesus. Folks, that's normal. That's the way we ought to live the Christian life. Sadly, we often make choices about where we live and the house we'll buy and, and the places we'll go based on our comfort rather than this mission that God has placed before us of being his seeds scattered to the world. So how do we do this? How can we be the scattered ones? How can we be purposeful about being scattered? Well, here's the first thing. Be a good neighbor. Just, just be a good neighbor. This came home to me uh, so vividly when we, years ago, we lived in London. And uh, we had a new family moving in right beside us. And the house right beside us was right beside us. And Diane uh, made a salad, I forget. I was like a pasta salad of some kind. And this was a Buddhist, a Chinese Buddhist family moving in beside us. And she made them this salad. And um, years later, a couple of years later, when it was time for us to move, and we were moving up to Gori, this uh, Buddhist man, Chinese man came over. He saw the, the for sale sign and he had tears in his eyes. He talked about the salad. You brought us a salad. And in between, there had been an opportunity because this man, this family had an autistic boy that was uh, um, a, a challenge for them in different ways. And this man was struggling at work and became very depressed. And I had the opportunity to sit with him at his table under his Buddha statue right above us and talk to him about Jesus because my wife opened a door to the gospel with a salad. We can do that. We can be good neighbors. We can get up 15 minutes earlier and shovel their driveway, not just ours. Got a snowblower, even better. Yeah, sorry, that time's coming real soon. <laughs> Be friendly. Say hello. Take the plate of Christmas goodies over in a, in a month and a half. We, we can do those kinds of things. Be a good neighbor to the people around us. Many of us love to play sports. Take the opportunity to play sports with people who don't know Jesus. For three years in Gory, I was a proud member of the Gory Gators Beer League baseball team. Dugout full of cigarette smoke, beer can in virtually every hand, except for at least one. And there were opportunities that came to me because I sat there in that dugout. And there were two or three occasions when one of my teammates would come and say, Gary, I really need to talk to you. One who'd been in a terrible accident where someone had died, another who had uh, gotten in trouble with, uh, with the law over a domestic dispute and opportunities to sit across with them and talk about Jesus because I had been willing to sit in the dugout. Play sports, volunteer at a school. Our years at Gory, we often would look for opportunities in the community and we had great relationships. Our, uh, our secretary in Gory was very plugged in at the local public school and so we would look for ways to to help 
And I remember on one occasion we purchased a number of bottles of, uh, of, of lice shampoo because there had been an outbreak at the school and so we provided that for families that couldn't afford it. And when I would talk to the principals, they would often say, you know what we really need? We need mentors. We need, we need adults from our community who will come in and mentor uh, kids in our school. I heard that from the principal at the high school in Wingham as well. We can do that. We can volunteer at a school. You might be part of a mums and tots group. I find it amazing how young mums um, feel their humanity. They've got this miracle child who they love so much, and yet in many cases they're exhausted and they're challenged and they're struggling with what it means to be a mom. Christian moms, that's an opportunity for us. Don't just eat lunch at your desk. Go to the lunchroom. Go to the cafeteria where other people are so that you can share the good news just help somebody. I'll always remember the time in London. <clears throat> I was filling up at a gas station. This car pulls in full of teenagers, and they had a flat tire. And they all jump out of the car and they're like, oh man, what are we going to do? I don't know how to change a tire. And so I just sensed the Lord kind of nudging me, well, you know how to change a tire. So I had a bit of time, so I just pulled over beside them, and uh, we got the tire out and the jack, and we started changing. And while we started changing the tire the skies opened up and it began to pound rain, like pound rain. So someone, for, someone had an umbrella and someone ran for an umbrella and they're holding the umbrella over me and they're like, what are you, what is, what's up with this guy? And, and when it was done, I just sensed the Lord saying, you, you have an opportunity right here. And so I stood up and said to this small group of teenagers, I know that might have seemed a little crazy to you, but I just want you to know that I learned that from Jesus. It's just little things that we can do. We can, we can do things like that to help people who are in need. There's people in need all around us every day. Help someone and take opportunities to point people to Jesus. So scatter to the world. Ask yourself, how are you scattered to the world? How are you engaging with people who are unbelievers? If you have no natural ways of doing that in your life, then you need to find one. And if you're sitting here thinking, well, I am so plugged in to so many things at this church that I don't have time for that, then I'm giving you permission now to resign from some of those things. Now, maybe just give us a little bit of time to find someone else, but you need to resign from some of what you're doing so that you can live this healthy Christian life with a healthy rhythm of gathering and scattering. We need everyone to serve in the church in some way, but not to the, at the expense of being a, a Christian, a diaspora who's getting out into the world with the gospel. Scatter to the world. Next, we find that we've got to scatter with the word. Notice verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And then it says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they paid close attention to what he said. Scatter with the word. Three different ways that this is described for us. The first one in verse 4, this word preach the word, is actually a verb form of the word gospel. They, they, everywhere they went, they gospelized. They, they preached the good news. We don't even have an English word for it, so we had to use preach. But it's literally preach the gospel. Gospelize. Declare the good news. That is why this is such a privilege for us. 
We're not the bearers of bad news. We, we have good news for people that they desperately need. So we gospelize. We, we good news in our lives with our words. And then we find that Philip proclaimed, this is a different word now, literally proclaimed, what? The Messiah. Now this makes sense because even in Samaria, the Samaritans believed in a Messiah. Their understanding of religion was tied to the Jewish faith, but they had come up with their own version of it. But in their version, they still had these hopes for a Messiah. You might remember that from John chapter 4, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, when she was speaking to Jesus and she said, we know the Messiah is going to come. And lo and behold, she was talking to him. Jesus says, the one you're speaking to is, is him. So they believed in the Messiah. So what did Philip declare? He declared the Messiah. Now, declaring Jesus is always, always part of what we're going to do when we share the good news. But what's interesting here is Philip was able to contextualize. He understood his audience. He knew that his audience had hopes of a Messiah who would bring a spiritual help to them. And so that was the perfect message for him to bring. In our day, we have to be wise and tactful and sensitive to the things that, that, that the people in our lives are concerned about. But of course, we're always, always going to bring them back and point them to Jesus. And then again in verse 6, we find that the people paid attention to what Philip said. Now, there's a lot of pressure in our day because we live in a culture that's very skeptical of religion and skeptical of Christians, and sadly, we're part of the reason for that. But because we live in a skeptical uh, society and culture, there, there's a lot of pressure on us as Christians to just be careful what you say and, and don't say too much and you know, live out the gospel with your life, but don't, don't force it down people's throats. And, and there's a real hesitancy to do what we've been called to do, and that is to preach the gospel. Now, I understand what I've just, what I've just said to you about our culture's suspicion of us and and uncertainty about our message is totally true. I totally get it, and we're going to talk about that. But the Christian uh, diaspora can never be satisfied with simply trying to live a good life, just kind of shine a light in some way. Our primary goal is to preach the message of good news. How do we know that? Because we are the body of Christ. We are the disciples of Christ. We continue the mission of Christ. And what was his mission? It's right here in Luke 4. This was one of those cases when, when people said to Jesus, hey, stay in our town, stay here in our village. And he said, no, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. This is a really important verse because it defines for us the primary objective of Jesus, and that was proclaiming the good news. Words matter. Communication matters. The whole universe began when God spoke, and redemption, the world of redemption, comes about through words. Romans says, how will they hear? Without a preacher. So we have to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. I know for a lot of us, you hear me say that, and you're like, well, I don't know how to do that. I've tried to encourage us with Acts 1.8, where Jesus said, as I've quoted already today, you will be my witnesses. We don't have to be theologians. We just have to tell people what we have experienced in our lives as Jesus has worked in us and through us. But it, of course, it doesn't hurt 
we should all be pursuing a basic knowledge of the Bible and of the gospel so that we can share. If we're limited in our ability to answer questions, that com- common questions that people have for us at work, well, don't be satisfied with that. There, there's people in your life who can help you. There's resources online. There's resources in this church. There's people who know how to answer those questions. So educate yourself, right? That's what we should do. We should, we should find ways to answer those questions. We should find verses. We should memorize verses. So that when people ask us questions about what we believe and why we believe it, we can actually put the very Word of God into their ears, which is far more powerful than anything we might say. Scatter with the Word. Are we ready to do that? And finally this, and this will connect with that challenge we have, as I said, in our culture and the suspicion that's all around us, and that is this, that we scatter with good works. We see it here with Philip, right? Verse 6, when the crowds heard Philip and, notice, saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Now, this is just the reality. Some Christians who've wanted to be vocal, tried to be vocal about their faith, have actually closed the ears of their listeners because of the way that they behave. And we don't want to do that. Far more than that, it's not just that we can avoid creating roadblocks for our message, but we can actually enhance our message and open doors and open people's ears, just like Philip did, by our actions. Isn't that exciting? This is crucial for us in a society and culture that is suspicious of us and of religion and of our Jesus. So this is important as well. First priority, preach the gospel. Second priority, live the gospel. Do you know what good works are? Good works are the gospel, the grace of God, put on display. That's what good works are. The good works are that we do are literally us reenacting God's grace to us. So why would I go and shovel my neighbor's driveway? Because I know through the gospel that there is a, a Savior who went to the cross for me. He substituted himself for me. He served me. So when I go and serve someone else and give of myself, my time, my resources, I am reenacting the gospel. And that's what empowers the message. You see how Philip did that. Signs he performed, it says in verse 6. Then verse 7 says, uh, there were shrieks as impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And then I love this. There was great joy in that city. Oh, that's a good one. And this actually helps me. We're going to talk in a moment about, well, what about these signs? Like, it's not, it's not fair. Like, Philip could do miracles. I, I could shovel a driveway. I don't know if I could do the demon thing. But first, let's look at verse 8. Great joy in that city. You know that this is the pattern we've seen all through the book of Acts. Growing persecution, fear of God, and yet we've read twice over so far in this book, that the people, the general population, um, that, that the believers had a, repu- a good reputation with them, that they were growing in favor with the broader community. Uh, one person 
who wrote a book called Church of Irresistible Influence asked this question. If your church ceased to exist in your community, would anyone be concerned or care? Would there be a loss? Not just for us, because this is the place where we like to gather, but for the community where God has planted us, is there a loss if our church were to disappear? How have we caused great joy in our city? You say, well, we're not in a city. Okay. In our neighborhood, in this rural community around us, in the town of Elmira. How about make it personal? How have we caused joy in our neighborhood? Have we brought a smile to someone's face in our class, in our workplace? That is what Christians should do. We come bearing not just the seeds of the gospel, but the seeds of good works, which demonstrate the grace and the kindness of God. That's what we're doing with our good works. We're putting God's grace on display. Just as the word of God says, taste and see that the Lord is good, we are giving people a taste through our lives of goodness. Is that how we live? Or are we the people who love to sit back and criticize all those sinners around us? If we're that kind of person, always judgmental, we think God has blessed us with the spiritual gift of judgment, and we bring no joy to anyone, and the gospel is not seen through our lives. Scatter with good works. So what about these signs? Well, I love the fact that Luke here describes the miracles that God performed through Philip as signs. And whenever I see the word sign, it actually... I like that. I like that better than miracles because I can do signs. There are things that I can do, not necessarily miraculous, but definitely a sign, a billboard, a message that people see and take note of that causes them to see something of Jesus and see something of the message. That's what signs do, right? We're driving down the road and someone's decided there's some information we need to know, so they put this big sign up. And that's what signs are meant to be. And so we can live lives where we are, we are putting out our own signs that describe the nature of God, the character of Jesus. And we're doing that through the things that we do and the way that we live. Scatter with good works. Bring great joy to the city. This is what Jesus said to his followers and. It's true for us today, Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then I love what Peter wrote. You can tell Peter memorized that one because he almost... He basically plagiarized Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he said, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the Christian life. This is the instruction of the Bible. This is how we are to live, declaring, proclaiming the gospel, but putting it on display with lives of good works. 
So we have been showing you this picture. Our discipleship path. Something that we want to uh, make part of our church life. A simple way of understanding this is what Christianity is all about. Everyone in the world is on a spiritual journey. And we are on a journey in which we're following Jesus. There he is on the left side, the right side of the, of the picture. And as Christians, we're followers of Jesus. We've come to him for salvation. We've believed the good news that he died in our place. He died for our sins. And through faith and repentance, we can be born again. And we're made alive. In fact, we're being transformed as we follow Jesus into his likeness. And as we're on this spiritual journey, the Bible teaches us that we have responsibilities to other people. We're to make disciples. That includes younger believers, less mature than we are. We come alongside them. We help them understand the faith. We help them be faithful in following Jesus. But it also includes people on the left side of the cross who are still in darkness. Some who are completely ignorant of the good news, who have no concern about their spiritual condition, who mock at the idea of religion and of Christianity. But we go after those people. We befriend those people. We love those people. We show those people the gospel by our lives. And we declare the good news as the Lord opens opportunities for us. And then some of us know people who are searching. They're beginning to sense their spiritual need and there's, there's a hunger in their hearts and They've met some Christians and they're kind of intrigued by them. Not turned off by them, hopefully, but intrigued. There's something about you guys. And maybe God has put someone like that in your life and it's, it's your role as a Christian to be a disciple maker to them, to come alongside them in relationship and to love them and show them the gospel through your life and to share the good news with them. That is the kind of church we want to be because that's the kind of Christian the Bible describes us to be and demands that we be. This is the normal Christian life. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I ask us this question as we finish. Are we in the game? I've been around churches long enough to know that a lot of us, most of us, if we're pressed on this question of evangelism and sharing our faith, a vast majority of us would simply say, it's not my gift. And somehow we excuse ourselves and we stay in the huddle thinking that surely God has given someone else the gift. Well, you know, the Bible has an answer for that as well. It comes from the Apostle Paul when he wrote to a faithful young believer named Timothy. And he says to Timothy among several things. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. You can almost sense Timothy is, is so much like me, maybe like you, where there's a timidity to Timothy. There, there is a, 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 a reticence to being bold and sharing our faith. And so Paul would say to Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't, don't be ashamed of me in my persecution for the gospel. And then he says in 2 Timothy, do, do you know this? The work of an evangelist. And I've read enough of First and Second Timothy by now to know that Timothy is one of those people who say, it's not my gift. But I hear Paul saying to him, fake it. Do it as though it is. 
your gift. Do it as though you are that person that you think is an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. This is the Christian life. We cannot excuse ourselves and say, well, someone else can do that. I'm just not good at that. Uh, The problem is uh, that we don't have enough faith to believe that we have been called to this and that God can use us just, just like he's had to use me in spite of myself and my weaknesses and my fears. Are we in the huddle or are we in the game? We're going to pray in a few moments and I'm going to run through some practical things after we sing. But let's sing and uh, contemplate these things as we do that. Just as we sing this song, the one thing that I love is that when we are called to to go out and to do all these things that Gary has said that, not that Gary, that Christ has said that we're to do, is that he goes with us, and it's not us alone, but it's through Christ in us that we can do that. So just um, really listen to the words of this song. We just sang, with every breath I long to follow Jesus. I assume that's true. I assume we sing that uh, sincerely. I want us to just think of some practical things that we can be doing, if I can get my slides open here again in order to be a scattered church. Here we go. To follow Jesus is to follow him into the world, to follow him to Zacchaeus, to the woman caught in adultery, to the woman at the well, to the religious Nicodemus. Perhaps some of us have been stuck in the huddle. And if that's the case, if we have shirked our responsibility to be the bearers of good news then the first thing perhaps we need to do is simply repent repent of our fear repent of our disobedience that we have not participated in what God has called us to do we've not followed Jesus here we followed him to church we followed him to service but we haven't followed him to the lost and then I would suggest we need to pray for compassion Because the bottom line is we don't go to the lost because we don't love them. We're not concerned about them. We're not concerned about their eternal state. And so this is a prayer. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Yeah, we, we literally have to pray for Christ to give us his love for lost people. I understand that need. I have that need as well. Then like the believers in the book of Acts, we can pray for boldness. Boldness to walk across the street and say hello. Boldness to shovel the neighbor's driveway. Boldness to take a gift. Boldness to stop and help. And yes, of course, boldness to share and testify to what God has done in our lives. There is no avoiding that the life of faith is a life that's lived out of the huddle. It's not comfortable. The book of Joshua is a picture to us of what the even the New Testament Christian life of faith is where God says, I will give you every place where you set your foot, but some of us don't step out. And it's time. This is the life of faith. We go where we cannot go in our own strength, and we go there because it's Christ. And we can be kind. We can do good to people. There's so many hurting people all around us. Be kind. And yes, COVID has given us an opportunity to do that. Not to think just about ourselves and our own comforts, but how can I show kindness to someone else?
and we can be a witness of what God has done in our lives. Lord, I pray for us as a church family, for me, and Lord, you know my own weaknesses in this area. Lord, would you, this very day, bring us to a decision. If we have been stuck in the huddle, and maybe for years and years, not engaging in this crucial part of the Christian life of what it means to be an authentic church, would you bring us first to repentance? Then would you, in your grace, begin to rebuild our hearts and give us a heart of love and compassion for the needy. Give us, Lord, boldness. We, we are weak people. We need you to fill us with strength. Help us, Lord, to step out of our comfort zone in faith, trusting that you will be what you've said you will be. Help us, Lord, to be kind to so many around us who are hurting and in need. And help us, Lord, to speak the name of Jesus, the name that so many desperately need to hear for their own salvation. Lord, how could we be any other kind of church than this? How could we be any other kind of professing Christian than this? This is what you've called us to. So would you do this work in us, I pray, all for your glory, for the good of lost people, and so that one day we will have the joy of singing these songs with a throng of people that you've used us to win. May it be true. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.